Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. The day has arrived. The heavens themselves are being shaken. The sky is, is rolling back like a scroll. The dead from ages past are, are all coming out of their graves. The trumpets are blasting loud and long, and the songs of angel armies are filling the air. And the people around you are, are terrified. They're in a panic. Some people are running to hide in caves and under mountains. Other people are, are so shocked that they can't even speak. And then, of course, there's the Son of Man, the, the judge, the King of Kings, Jesus, standing there on the clouds, just as he said he would do, resplendent in all of his heavenly glory. The day has arrived. The hour is at hand. The, ch- the time for judgment is here. It's the end of the world. Have you ever thought about what you are going to say to Jesus, to the the judge of the living and the dead on that day? Like, have you ever considered when it's your turn, when you get to the end of the line and you are standing in front of this judge, have you ever thought about what you might tell him so as to possibly defend yourself and defend your life? Like, will you maybe point to your Facebook status that identified you as a Christian as as the reason why Jesus should give you a ticket into heaven? Or or, or maybe uh, he'll give you a pass. Maybe this one to whom no secrets remain hidden will give you a pass uh, because you've been to church for a certain number or a certain percentage of the Sundays of your life or the Sundays that you've been alive. Will he let you into heaven uh, based on whether you've been a despicable person or a pretty respectable one, regardless of whether or not you believed in him during this life. Or or maybe it's only like if you haven't committed any of the really bad, really heinous sins, or at least the ones that we would consider really heinous, uh, rape and murder and things like that. Maybe as long as you haven't committed a sin like that, that should be the reason that he lets you into heaven. Or maybe... as long as you haven't excluded yourself uh, because you've been just such an awful person during your life, right? That, that then Jesus will like punch your ticket and you'll get to go through the pearly gates. I mean, when it arrives, when judgment day happens, when Jesus comes again on this day that he says is going to come sometime in the future and is even now looming somewhere over the horizon, how will he decide whether you are fit for heaven or whether you belong in hell. 
This is a question. And questions like this, questions about death and what happens after I die and what happens when the world ends, questions like these have been plaguing human hearts since the very beginning of the world. Well, in our gospel lesson today, Jesus gives us answers, doesn't he? Uh, now, leading up to this point in the gospel of Matthew, or at least um, in this this long sermon that Jesus is preaching about the end times. Uh, in, so in Matthew 24, the first part of 25, Jesus has been speaking with a lot of parables. But now at this point, he drops the parables and he speaks plainly. He explains very clearly now as he brings us to this time of judgment, what is going to happen. And so here now, is what comes at the end. We're going to read through those verses of our gospel lesson again, just taking a few pauses to um, emphasize some things and highlight a couple of things. So this is Jesus speaking, starting at Matthew 25, verse 31. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Uh, now, it's important to note here a couple of things. First, is that Jesus is going to have no problem determining who belongs in which group. Okay? Does a shepherd, somebody who, uh, whose livelihood is to deal with flocks, does a shepherd have any problem distinguishing a sheep from a goat? No. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, is not going to have any trouble distinguishing one from the other on that day. The one who can see every human heart, who knows every human heart, is going to separate these two into these new groups. And that's really the second point, is that when Jesus is doing all of this, when Jesus gathers these people and nations together, he doesn't judge them like nation by nation, ethnic group by, by ethnic group, or social group uh, by social group. He doesn't uh, separate them Republicans by, by Democrats, um, rich uh, and, 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 and poor, black and white, right? These are two completely new groups that Jesus has here, and he is separating, the, he is separating people into these groups on a very individual basis, right? Every individual person he looks at and determines this one's a sheep, this one's a goat. And so what you end up with here is two totally new groupings of people that this world has never seen or really even considered before. Okay, well, let's go on here. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you invited me in. I was a stranger, excuse me, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did 
for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Okay, so the king who is doing all of the judging takes um, these acts of, of kindness for other people, for the, the unfortunate ones, the, the, the lower classes of society, the oppressed ones of society. He takes these acts of kindness as like personal acts of kindness that were done toward him, done unto himself. But he will also, as we are about to see, take the acts of unkindness, of, of cruelty, of injustice as acts of unkindness against himself. Finishing the reading. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And as we end that reading, we might have to ask, well, doesn't that seem kind of fair? Uh, like, it, it sounds like the king is going to uh, do his judging exactly the way that you would expect any judge to do his work, right? Bad guys, mean, cruel, careless, heartless people, they're the ones who go to hell. And then on the other hand, uh, good guys, noble, kind, selfless caring individuals, they're the ones uh, who get to go to heaven, right? It seems fairly reasonable and comparable to the way that a, a regular courtroom or the courtroom of popular opinion today would work, right? In fact, even I think a lot of non-Christians would have to say that this scene at least sounds pretty fair, pretty uh, objective and reasonable. But if you're a a long-time Christian, if you're somebody like me who grew up in a Christian household, a Bible-carrying, church-going household, then this scene that Jesus gives us in Matthew 25 actually sounds kind of wacko. Something sounds a little bit off here because you're telling me that this judgment is based on deeds I mean, I've always been taught that, that all I need to really do is, is believe in Jesus, right? Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Be a Christian, right? Be a follower of Jesus. Uh, but now I'm hearing that I have to go out and do all this, this good stuff first, right? That Jesus is going to judge me based on uh, my charitable deeds, whether I've been good or whether I've been bad. And there's really no getting around it here either. I mean, the judge, Jesus himself, when he comes at the end of time, says that he is going to judge on the basis of your deeds. But I need everybody to listen up extremely carefully here, or else you might leave here with the absolute wrong impression of this whole message. Jesus does judge on the basis of deeds, but he's judging here on the basis of deeds as evidence, the evidence of something else, not as the cause of something 
Okay, if you just give this section a cursory glance and say, well, it's all based on whether you've been a good person or a bad one, whether you've been naughty or nice, Jesus judges like Santa Claus does. There's nothing in here really about believing in Jesus at all. Uh, if that's the message that you take away from this, then you are going to leave here today with a huge problem and having completely missed the point of everything. Yes, Jesus judges on the basis of deeds, but it's on the basis of deeds as evidence of something, not as the cause of something. Good deeds and bad deeds here are evidential. They are not causal. Okay, maybe you might consider this uh, very similar, very, very similarly uh, to the way that a, uh, a bloody fingerprint on a knife might serve as evidence in a courtroom, right? But the bloody fingerprint on a knife is not going to cause someone to be a murderer, right? The bloody fingerprint on a knife is evidence, evidence that somebody has already committed murder, right? And so when Jesus judges on the basis of deeds, he's judging on the basis of those deeds as evidence, but not as a cause, okay? That's an extremely important point for us to take away from this. All right, so now let's try to take a closer look at what Jesus says here. First, he says to those sheep on his right, whatever you did not, whatever you did do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then to the goats, it's very much the opposite, right? Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Well, if we're looking at that, uh, as the judging, as the standard for for judging whether a person goes to heaven or goes to hell, don't we wind up kind of caught in the middle of all of this, right? Uh, because both for for Christians and for non Christians alike, uh, we have to admit that there are plenty of times when our our kindness to other people, when our um, charitable when our charitable spirit just kind of dries up, right? After a stressful day at work, maybe you come home and, and you're just like looking for something to snap on the kids for, right? A, a messy house or the rooms are messy or they're being too loud. And, and what do you do? You just snap on them, right? Because the reality is that you can have a cruel streak in you. You can be super unloving to your spouse and other people. Maybe you walk past the homeless lady on the street and, and you don't even like look at that person Right? You don't even you can't even find a word of encouragement for that person, much less pry open your wallet for anything. But then on the other hand, there are times when we seem extremely generous, extremely uh, charitable to people, right? After a successful week at work, um, you might come home and, and you're playing with your kids. You're the best dad or the best mom ever. Uh, you're a, a kind, loving, helpful spouse. And when you walk past homeless Joe on the street, you drop a couple of bucks into his little tin and, and even offer some words of encouragement, right? We all have those times too when like our heart grows three sizes like the Grinch's. And so we got to ask the question, am I going to heaven because I've done some good stuff? Or am I going to hell because I've done some bad stuff? Now, all of that that, that we just talked about um, isn't that really the nature of sin in us? Like as good as we'd like to think we are sometimes, the reality is that there is a brokenness 
that lives inside all of us. And it is a brokenness that causes us to be mean-spirited and irritable and selfish and uncharitable and unkind and, and cruel even and just downright wicked. And there is no one who can deny that this brokenness and the things that result from this brokenness are a part of their reality, are a part of their lives, right? Not unless you are living in complete self-denial and are totally, totally self-deluded about who you really are. So then what? Do we maybe just need enough good stuff? to outweigh the bad? Uh, is that it? Like Jesus puts all of this stuff onto a scale and, and that's how he sorts it out? That is often the way that our hearts and how many, many other people around us like to think. In fact, if you look at all the, the religions of the world besides Christianity, that idea of the cosmic scale of good outweighing the bad, that's really how every single one of those religions operates, isn't it? You do enough good to counterbalance or counteract the bad stuff and then you get to go to heaven or nirvana or if you're a Mormon, you get to go to your own plan. But here's why this cannot be a cosmic balancing act that we see here. It's because the almighty judge is judging on the basis of one. The number one. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, or whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, right? And the Greek word here for one isn't like the, the general indefinite pronoun that, that we use fairly frequently, like, hey, which one of you uh, can help me hang this picture on the wall, right? I don't really care about the number one there. I just want somebody, I don't care if it's even two people, to come and help me. Or when, I, when, when pastor says, like, greet one another on your way uh, out of church this morning, right? The emphasis isn't on the numerical value of one. Like as soon as you say hi to one person, you're done and you're free and you get to get in your car and leave, right? That's oftentimes how we use that word though. Here, the emphasis again is on the numerical value of the number one. Uh, that's, that's the sense of the Greek word here. Whatever you did for a singular one of these people or whatever you did not do for a singular one of these people. So what's the difference then? Uh, how do we make sense of all of this? Because I know that I have certainly been kind to one person in my life, and I know that I've also been a cruel jerk to at least one person in my life. And so if you stayed in that position of uncertainty, well, I've been good, I've been bad, where do I end up in all of this? You, you would stay in like this position of uncertainty and your worries about the afterlife would just hang on for your entire life. Like you'd probably feel a lot like a yo-yo on a string up one day because you've been a great person and down the next because you've been a miserable person. Here's what you need to understand. Well, first, before we get to that, Maybe we, need to, maybe we need to also clarify um, that the Bible's a really cool thing because in the Bible, oftentimes there's one section that might feel a little bit confusing, but then we have the whole rest of the Bible to help 
illuminate and, and shine light on that, right? And vice versa. The, the Bible is just so wonderfully, beautifully woven together like this. And so where I might not find the exact answer that I'm looking for in one spot, chances are really good that if I read elsewhere, that if I read other parts of the Bible, that will help to inform the part that I'm having some trouble with. And that's what we need to do here. We look at the rest of scripture to help inform and shine light on this part, okay? So here's what you need to understand. What you need to understand is that the answer isn't found in the amount that is done for the king. The answer is found in the relationship to the king. The difference at the end of all things is the presence or the lack of faith. Whether you have a relationship of of love and trust in your Savior, Jesus, or whether through um, unbelief or unrepentance have rejected or turned away from that relationship. And so for those sheep who are at the right hand of the judge, they have faith in their master. They trust him. They trust in his goodness. And so... What's the point of the good deeds? The good deeds are then the evidence of that relationship. Their works of kindness, their works of love will be evidence of their relationship with the king. Evidence which the Bible tells us will come up naturally from a heart of faith. Uh, James, the, the brother of Jesus himself, one of the leaders of the early Christian church, wrote a letter that we call James. And in it, he says that faith without deeds is dead, right? He says, show me your faith without deeds, faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Because those who have faith will naturally and necessarily produce the good deeds, the good deeds which are evidence of the faith. And vice versa, if they do not produce the good deeds, that is then evidence that they have no faith and no relationship with the king. But we got something else to deal with here too, don't we? We have to ask, what about the evil deeds? Right? What about the evil deeds that I do? What about all of that brokenness? What about the sin that manifests itself in my life in so many ways and at so many different times? Why isn't any of that taken into account? Well, the answer again is so simple. And yet we so frequently overlook it, um, especially when we find ourselves uh, caught in, in some very, especially what we would consider egregious sins, when we are feeling a lot of guilt. The reason why those sins, the reason why those evil deeds aren't taken into account, again, the answer here is so simple, is because they are no longer on our account. If you look back in the Old Testament, uh, King David, um, ruler of Israel, is somebody who is described as loving God. He's, he's spoken of as being a man after God's own heart. And yet King David did some truly awful, terrible, disgusting things in his life. And yet in Psalm 51, here's what King David sings to God. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. What could possibly, though, blot out 
all of those sins, all of the, the numerous and egregious evils of my life, evils that I have committed, that I have committed against other people, that I have committed against God, what could blot them out so that they are now hidden from the eyes of the judge who sees all things? So that now all he sees left there is the righteousness. Well, it's all because of what that mighty judge, the son of man, the king on his throne, has himself done for us. The son of God left his divine throne to to, to become Jesus, the son of man. And he did it, why? In order to, to take our judgment, the judgment of God, upon himself. Jesus left heaven, came from heaven to earth in order to trade places with with goats, with people like you and me who are broken, who are who are so often bent upon evil. He did it though so that he could make us, remake us into sheep. And so to that incredible end, Jesus took our human hunger upon himself. Jesus became the stranger to to even his own countrymen, the the outcast and the outsider. Jesus was made naked for our sake, stripped of all of his clothing as he hung upon the cross and then sat there in humiliating shame for all of the onlookers to, to ridicule and to jeer at. Jesus is the one who became parched with thirst as he hung high in the dry Judean air. Jesus received all the sickness of of this world's sin and brokenness and evil upon his own shoulders. And so by his righteous life and then by his suffering of death and hell for our sake, He received the blows of God's justice over humanity's sin. But he paid for it. All of it. All of the injustice in your life. All of the cruelty. All of the the meanness. All of the selfishness. Jesus paid for every last bit of it. With every last drop of his divine blood. Just as John the Baptist had foretold when he cried out in the wilderness, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so every good deed that you lack and every punishment that you deserve are alike met and taken care of in your Lamb, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is a beautiful message. That is the most beautiful message that that our ears could hear underneath this sun and in this life. It is a message, too, that is offered to all people, regardless of race, regardless of skin color, uh, regardless of, of social status, regardless of whether you voted Republican or Democrat in this last election, regardless of whether you have been a sinner or a saint in the world's eyes. You see, Jesus does not give his disciples and he doesn't give us like some how-to message. Here's how to earn heaven for yourself. No, in the gospel, 
Jesus gives us a how it's been done message, a message of free forgiveness that is extended to all people because it has been done for you by Jesus. And so when Jesus comes again on that day of judgment, do you know how you're going to look at him? You're not going to look at him with the, the fear of a sinner. You're not going to look at him with the terror of somebody who knows that they are about to be punished severely. Because of everything that Jesus has done, you are going to be able to look at him, look him in the eye, the king of all kings, the judge of the living and the dead, with love and joy in your heart and with the praise of alleluias on your lips. Because on that day, Jesus will see you and say, yes, yes, I know you because you are one of my sheep. Go now and receive your inheritance. And what is our inheritance? Well, let's finish things up today. I think it would be appropriate to, to wrap things up by taking a look at that inheritance, the inheritance that the sheep receive, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus, our Savior, has done for us. We're going to be reading here from Reve a few verses from Revelation 22. Here is your inheritance. This is, uh, by the way, Jesus' disciple John, who is receiving this vision, this vision of what comes at the end of all things. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street, of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen.